I'm Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Harshal Perik. Harshal is the co-founder and CEO of Tromso, an application security automation and management platform which came out of stealth just a few months ago. He has a history in the security industry, ranging from consulting at KPMG to senior director of security at Medallia, and he launched Tromso with the intention to reduce friction between development and security, which he experienced at Medallia. One of his investors was Silicon Valley CISO Investments, exactly what the name implies, which he actually helped found several years ago after moving to the Bay Area and trying to engage further with the startup ecosystem. Now, they're full steam ahead, iterating on the product and delivering to these industry titans who've backed them from the beginning. Harshal, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Carl. This is uh, a good opportunity for us to take a step back and, you know, talk about broader things. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, there's some components in there that you're already alluding to uh, that I'd like to, to dive into in a bit more detail you recently came out of stealth, and we're certainly going to dive into that whole process. But first, let's take a step back towards the the start of your career. You originally learned, you were originally working in networking, to my knowledge. How did you make that transition into security? Yeah, so that's uh, you know that's an interesting story, at least interesting for me because <laughs> back in the day when I graduated uh, from a master's degree, there wasn't uh, there wasn't um, a you know, a structured course or structured degree around cybersecurity, right? Nowadays, it's much more common. But back in the day, you couldn't officially study cybersecurity. You just had to learn it by yourself. And I've always been like all the way from my high school, uh, I've been super interested in the world of uh, security. So I figured the closest thing to security would be networking. So I (laughs) went to networking, right? And uh, I was in Kansas City where... Uh, Sprint, uh, if you remember Sprint as a, one of the big telco companies back in the day. <laughs> They're not that old. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Um, but they used to be much bigger. So they had a huge, huge um, uh, center in Kansas City. So I graduated and just got my first job in networking back then and uh, chomping at the bits to get into cybersecurity. And uh, the opportunity appeared quickly. So jump ship. Interesting. So it sounds like you had this initial interest in cybersecurity to begin with. You kind of settled with networking, but then kept your eyes peeled for one of those security opportunities. And then to my understanding, you jumped into cybersecurity consulting. Is that right? Was that just the kind of easiest route that you found to get into the security field? Or was there something in particular that attracted you to consulting? Yeah, so there were a couple of drivers behind getting into that. So one was intentional, which is I wanted to get exposed to as many different environments as possible just to expedite the learning process right because if you're you know if you're focused on one particular thing it's great you can get very deep into it my intention was to get into consulting work with a large variety of different customers different clients see different environments see how they solve problems um, and learn quickly so that was the intentional part of it the unintentional thing was in Kansas City, there were not a lot of companies hiring for cybersecurity talent, right? So back in the day, there was this um, uh, company called Fishnet Security, uh, which was a really, really big uh, service provider uh, for cybersecurity services. 
so join them. They were they were really good nationwide presence, and they were on the uh, upswing. Um, and uh, so that just came around as a uh, as an interesting you know opportunity for me uh, to get into cybersecurity. Interesting. So I think a lot of people end up joining consulting to get that broad exposure, but in reality, people end up becoming specialized fairly quickly. That's just a part of what these big service providers have to do in order to, to differentiate is make sure they have experts for each of these different industries. And so they train up consultants in specific areas of expertise. Did you find that that was the case for you as well? Did you quickly find yourself establishing establishing yourself as an expert in any particular domain? Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're 100% right. Um, these consulting companies definitely have to show domain expertise, which is why companies would hire them to do complex jobs. Right. Um, so I did end up going into specializing in a couple of different things. So firewalls, when, you know, when those were things before AWS became uh, relevant. <laughs> so deploying firewalls, implementing firewalls and blue code proxy SGs back in the day, SSL VPNs were coming up. So those were the things that I was really, really focused on. Mm. And I, at some point I got really good at Juniper Stack. So Juniper had a really good security stack. They had just acquired NetScreen um, and uh, that became my domain of expertise. And at some point after spending a few years doing those things, become, becoming really good at it, um, I wanted to do something different. Uh, so wanted to get out of network security at that point. But yes, so I, I did reach that learning curve plateau at some point. Yeah, sure. And to your point about the cloud earlier, right? At least uh, those people who focused in network security aren't totally out of a job, even though AWS and, and cloud makes it easier. I, I was just talking about this recently uh, on another podcast, but there's still a lot of configuration that comes with actually designing appropriate network security rules, even if that uh, management plane looks a little bit different in the cloud versus like traditional firewall devices. So. I'm sure that that knowledge is still paying dividends for you now. Uh, but one of the other pieces that that you mentioned, and I'm curious, we'll talk more about this later. Uh, you mentioned Juniper kind of became an area of expertise for you. Your co-founder at Tromso, Harshit, I know he actually came from Juniper as well. So, I mean, can you maybe just briefly prelude and, and satisfy my curiosity? Was that part of how the two of you came together? Uh, actually, no, there's, uh, okay. I wish there was a correlation, but no, there's <laughs> not. It's the closest thing that we have is our names are so similar. So we decided we should do a company together. I'm nice. just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But no, it's, uh, there's no Juniper angle here. Got it. Okay. Okay. Well, let's keep moving forward. Then you mentioned that you were kind of feeling that you were getting towards the end of that, uh, that learning curve or starting to hit your plateau. You ended up joining KPMG in 2010, I believe. Now, my listeners will know, I used to work at a KPMG as well. I'm really curious, what did the security practice look like back in the early 2010s? Uh, and maybe if you kept track of it, how that might have changed over time? Yeah, so that's that's a good question, actually. I haven't thought about it in a while, but it, the reality was so, and I'll, I'll connect your answer to like how and why I made that decision to do that. So, as I mentioned, you know, I was spending a lot of time on the network security stack uh, yep. in my previous job, 
And I realized that a lot of our customers were making certain decisions and certain investment decisions, certain projects they were prioritizing because of a particular reason. I couldn't understand why they were doing those things, right? I couldn't understand what was the risk that they were trying to mitigate and manage and why they were making certain choices. So, so I thought that maybe I should join somebody, some firm who has a more, you know, more um, a broader level view of security and how mm. to build programs and how to manage risk effectively, which is how I um, uh, met up with a few folks from KPMG, really good folks on in the Mountain View office. And they, at that time, they were focusing a lot on GRC space, right? Governance, risk and compliance. And really what it meant was um, helping customers Take a, take a broader look at enterprise risk, understanding sure. which domains are more important versus less important based on their particular business need, right? So that requires a much more holistic understanding of security, uh, which, is, which was my reason of joining KPMG. Um, and, you know, it, at that time, to answer your question of what they were doing at that time, it was a large majority of the work, at least on the West Coast was focused on GRC. There was, um, mm. and, and at some point, um, I think it was uh, 2012-ish, um, there was a lot of work coming around identity and access management as well, driven by larger customer demand. Um, and there, they, eventually they ended up doing a lot of different things, but the, uh, the couple of things that I really appreciated in the firm, uh, and, and hopefully this resonates with you as well, is, is a deep domain expertise uh, at the intersection of business and security. It's not just technical yeah. security, right? And then how do you actually communicate with your customers? Um, and it's not just, uh, you know, writing pen test reports, which is obviously very important, but at the same time, you know, how do you uh, communicate with the board of directors and how do you communicate to the executive leadership on security? Like that aspect of communication, which is super important, uh, in the world of security uh, is is really what KPNG was really good at, right? So, um, and I, I believe now they're doing, obviously they're shifting themselves along with uh, as how the market changes and they're much more into DevSecOps and, you know, um, security incident response and monitoring and all those kinds of things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're spot on. It's interesting to hear, again, some of those historical trends. I think old habits die hard in some ways, right? I know when I was there uh, in 2018 or so when I joined, uh, identity and GRC was certainly a big focus on the West Coast as well. Um, so obviously, once you have kind of those projects going with different clients, clients satisfied with the work that you're providing, then you want to make sure that you're able to continue delivering against it. But to your point that you talked about earlier as well, right? Being able to communicate the the business value and that balance with security teams, I think lends itself nicely to DevSecOps. I think that's why KPMG has emerged as more one of the, the leaders in that space is it, again, that's kind of one of the core principles of DevSecOps is being able to understand the goals of some of those different teams that are involved in those processes and kind of remind yourself as a security practitioner that you don't get the the final say in all matters um, and figuring out how you can kind of integrate security without introducing friction that impacts these other business objectives. So again, kind of lends itself nicely 
to that that theme there. So, I mean, it sounds like KPMG gave you that broader security experience that you were maybe originally looking for when you joined the consulting world, but you ended up leaving in 2014 to go to industry. You're not the only one that has uh, done a stint in consulting and then gone to industry um, and just tried to experience that side of the world. What ended up triggering that move for you? Yeah. So one of the the, the primary reason was that we were, uh, me and my wife, we had our first child um, during that time. So hmm. I couldn't travel much. And if you know anything about consulting, <laughs> travel is a given, right? So you, you, I, at that point, I couldn't take, uh, you know, flying into Chicago for nine months at a stretch uh, week in and week out. I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons. And the other, the other reason was also that, um, you know, helping a lot of the, uh, the really um, sophisticated businesses, uh, insurance companies in, in the Midwest or tech companies on the West Coast or financial uh, organizations on the East Coast, you know, spend a lot of time uh, building security programs for those types of organizations, you know, very interesting challenges. But what ended up happening was after spending six months, nine months, and, you know, putting blood, sweat, and tears into those things, you, you, you just have to walk away from it, right? Like you don't get to claim ownership for anything. Like you don't <laughs> get to watch the baby grow. Yeah. So um, that's always one of those things that, uh, that kind of, you know, was in the back of my mind. Like I got to do something that I can be proud of, you know, be uh, mm. um, claim ownership towards that. So one of my uh, one of my managers at KPMG who wasn't there anymore, but he uh, he went on to work in the industry and he connected me we he connected me with somebody at Medallia, which is um, which is where I joined right after as the the first security hire for this super fast growing B two B tech company and this was in 2015 and uh, definitely a good decision to do that. <laughs> Yeah, interesting. I didn't know you were the the first cybersecurity hire. I mean, I want to definitely drill into that a little bit more, but I also want to just briefly touch on, and, and we'll come back to this later, but um, one of the first things that comes to mind when you say, oh, I wanted to really own something and kind of watch the baby grow is how that translates to entrepreneurship as well. So yeah. again, we'll, we'll certainly tie back in that theme and you can maybe speak to that a little bit more. Uh, but you joined Medallia, like you said, first cybersecurity hire. I'm sure your perspective changed being an in industry on kind of the, the other side of the fence, having to own these decisions, like you mentioned, rather than advise on them. And I'm sure you had all sorts of different challenges that came with resource constraints as this first security hire. No one had kind of paved a path before you. How did your perspective on security as an industry change from that experience it was uh it was phenomenally different than what i had expected it to be right and it's oh, not just not just it was medallia but it was when you actually are in the trenches trying to solve these problems with the developers with it with your executive leadership it's way different than writing up uh, a slide deck or a PDF report as a consultant <laughs> and handing it over, right? So, so then, you know, back in the day, like in consulting, you can think that, oh yeah, of course you should fix this. You know, of course you should do this. It just makes sense. Like there's no reason not to do it. 
And then people, a lot of people would get frustrated. A lot of consultants who would do like assessments year over year and the same things would keep showing up again and again. Like they would get frustrated thinking, why are these guys not fixing anything? Sure. But the reality is when you go into an organization, when you're helping the um, the employees get better at security, you see that it's it's that's not the only world that they live in, right? Like they got to build product. They got to push features out. There's so many priorities. Every single individual in a, in a company has more things to do than what they can deliver, right? So how does that, how does security stack rank into that? And how do prioritization decisions get made? Like seeing those things firsthand, mm. it makes you realize that, you know what, as a consultant, you can say all these things, but the reality is totally different. <laughs> So how long was it before you started bringing in additional people into your security team? Was it something where you were hired with kind of the expectation that you would quickly grow your team or were you on your own for maybe the first year or something? So that was, um, uh, that was a, a time where I started hiring people before even officially joining the company. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, between between um, KPMG and Medali, I was already interviewing other people who I could hire and bring with me on the team. So we, we kind of knew that. And also this was, you know, the person who hired me at Medali, a phenomenal manager. Um, so our vision pretty much aligned in terms of what's needed um, to, to build effective security at Medali. And, and that's one of the companies where, you know, it wasn't a checkbox type security, right? Like we had, we right. actually invested in building good security because um, it was just important throughout the leadership chain. Um, so, so we ended up hiring people right away. Um, and uh, within a month, I would say, or two months, I would say we had four people in seat. Wow. Interesting. So it sounds like you were lucky, at least in a sense, in that um, you had the, the kind of support from leadership to be able to prioritize security within an organization. I mean, you came from, again, this consulting background where most of the time customers, especially for big four like KPMG, are going to be large enterprise, but then you were working in more of a kind of startup, small company atmosphere and environment. How did what you learned in consulting translate to that smaller environment? Oh, yeah. It was, it was fantastic. It was a very smooth transition. And the reason is, even though the startup, the company was acting like a startup, right? I mean, it wasn't really small. It still had like 600 people at that time. So not really small. But the customers that we had, they were large financial institutions or, you know, automobile and healthcare and um, uh, uh, hospitality industry customers and tech giants as customers of Medallia, right? So like really large organizations. Mm. And the, the, the fantastic thing that happened with the security organization was that cybersecurity was super important for all of our customers at Medallia, which mm. meant security was important for the company, right? So it, it was a lot of... Um, discussions and getting into conversations with customers because they were they would um, perform vendor reviews and assessments and audits and compliance and so on and so forth and as a consultant you know you're just good at managing those conversations and and delivering on on commitments to your customers and things like that so it was a good fit in my opinion interesting okay hmm. well let's let's move on then while you were at medallia you 
clearly recognize some sort of opportunity within the entrepreneurial ecosystem. You had kind of taken on this role as CISO, but then you also ended up founding SVCI, Silicon Valley CISO Investments, which is a, to my understanding, angel group of different uh, CISOs in the Valley investing in other cybersecurity companies. What inspired you to, to co-found that and how did that maybe spark a further interest in the entrepreneurship world and then we'll get to to Tromso from there in a minute as well. Right. Yeah. Well, my my philosophy is that look, if if you're paying for the really high, you know, real estate prices in the Bay Area and the high taxes of California, might as well, you know, take advantage of the thing that Silicon Valley is known for, right? So it's like, okay, entrepreneurship—it's always exciting. Let's let's figure out how to get involved uh, in those things, and. Uh, SVCI was Silicon Valley CISO investors is, is a phenomenal group of CISOs, very, very credible people, really good group of people. Um, and there were about seven or eight of us, I would say, in the initial initial group um, that was discussing this. So we all came together and figured out, OK, this, you know, let's just run this as an experiment and we'll see where it goes. Um, and it took off like it, it became really successful. Um, but yeah, so that was, and at that time, you know, I, it wasn't in my uh, my own personal career roadmap that I will be uh, a founder or I'll start my own company. That wasn't something that I was thinking at that time, but it was just my way of dipping my toes into this world of startups and, you know, things like that, that Silicon Valley is known for. Interesting. Okay. So then help me segue that into... Tromso. I mean, you kind of got your feet wet with the entrepreneurship ecosystem up there, probably learned a lot more about what it's like to actually build a company. Around, what was it, early this year, you officially left Medallia, entered Stealth, uh, began building Tromso in Stealth. How did SVCI play a role in that? Where did Tromso really come from? Yeah, so... um... As I mentioned, you know, SVC has a lot of really, really good talent of CISOs and right. uh, very well connected with other founders as well. So just going through those conversations with other founders uh, and just understanding their journey, because that's what we did, right? We had tried to understand their journey. We tried to understand what they had done, what they were working on, what are the challenges that they were running into. So that all of that, that whole story is just fascinating. Talking to founder after founder and understanding what makes certain founders more successful versus certain other founders. Um, so, so that was just a, a super interesting thing for me, which, which kind of started pulling me into this uh, idea that maybe we should do something, you know, maybe we should solve one of these problems that nobody else is solving. Um, and if it builds, uh, you know, if you are able to do it as a startup, then that's great. Otherwise, there was also, you know, other ways of uh, contributing to the, the security community. So eventually, you know, we realized that, yeah, there is something here and maybe we can build a company. This is a bigger trend that, you know, that justifies building a business out of it. Um, and that's how we became a little bit more serious about uh, building uh, Tromso. So it sounds like you had this kind of approach of, okay, we want to contribute back to the security community. Maybe that involves building a company. You're learning a little bit more about what the entrepreneurial process looks like. Tromso, and I'll let you put it in, in your words if I mess anything up here, but 
basically an AppSec aggregation platform that ingests data sources from all sorts of different application security tools, SAST, DAST, SCA, et cetera, puts it in single pane of glass with visualizations such as graphs, for example. How did that problem get selected and, well, the subsequent solution there as well from just the broad landscape of challenges that exist in security today? Right. Yeah, I mean, I you know, at the end of the day, if you look at most founders who are really passionate about solving a particular problem, um, a lot of them come from personal experiences, right? So either you feel those problems yourself or you've seen that and you know how to solve it effectively uh, and nobody else is doing that. So that was kind of the the motivation behind solving this space for us as well, because, you know, having spent a number of years in application security at KPMG and then at Medallia, which is a, a tech company where software was being delivered very, very fast in a regulated controlled environment, a B2B enterprise with number of compliance regulations and things like that. So you see, kind of end up seeing those problems, right? Like engineering wants to deliver software faster than ever before, but security cannot keep up with it, right? The traditional models of software security doesn't really work. Um, So how do you you modify and really up-level your application security program to keep up with the pace of engineering. And that was a fundamental problem um, that we were trying to solve. Like even at Medallia, we did a bunch of things where um, we built some solutions in-house, we tried a number of things and we, uh, the team was super, super solid. Like even, even today, like if, if, you, if you look at YouTube, there's a bunch of different videos or uh, presentations that we gave at AppSec USA, AppSec California, RSA, because mm-hmm. the team did phenomenal work. Um, and it was, you know, unique and interesting. So we did a bunch of things over there. And then we real so as we started talking to other people outside uh, of Medallia, just in the general security industry, <laughs> I realized that almost every other security person was suffering from the same problem, right? Like how, do you, how do you get engineers to do more about security? Uh, how do you bring better alignment between software development teams and cybersecurity? How do you keep up with uh, the fast-moving dev- DevOps processes. Um, and going back to uh, the earlier observations and my own personal experiences where, you know, uh, technical tools are, are great. And currently in the, in the application security space, like we have so much innovation happening around, you know, testing and scanning and assessments and all that stuff. Like it's, there's there's really, really good companies trying to build really, sophisticated and good products but the problem remains like how do you, you you're you know as a security person you're over, overwhelmed with so much data uh, yeah. you really don't know what to do about that right and forget about engineers like they have no idea what to work on they have no idea how to build the right level of security so that was kind of our mission statement like how do how do we solve this problem because at the end of the day Unless and until software developers start taking ownership of security, we're not going to see a material change in how security is done. So with that mission, with that vision that we want to bring better alignment between developers and security, we started Tromso, which is really an application security management platform. So 
you know, integration of different scanning tools and systems, that is a step one, because it's a common problem across almost every single security team. But, but really the broader solution here is like, how do we automate application security that can operate at scale? Because engineering is operating in a very automated fashion at scale across DevOps pipelines and multiple source control systems, pushing code multiple times a day. So how do you build and automate security controls within those processes so you keep up with software development? So really, that's, that's really what we're doing. So walk me through that in a bit more detail. I mean, the automation piece, to my understanding, you're not automating like imp- the implementation of any controls or anything, right? What is the what does that automation actually consist of in reality? Yeah, so that automation actually does include uh, implementation of certain set of controls. Now, we're not we're not a scanner, so we're not going to do that. But at the same time, like if you think about a typical software development process, a feature gets built or designed by a dev team, then somebody starts writing code. There's multiple versions, you know, releases, uh, testing processes happen in the meantime, and it's it's very rapid, right? But at some point when, you know, things get moved to production or they release, then there is the operational aspect of it. Now, all of that happens in a really fast iteration, but every single step of that, the software development process requires some or the other security control whether it's uh, you know writing up a security spec when a feature is being discussed or performing a threat model when an architecture uh, is being designed or performing static analysis, dependency analysis when code is being written or you know external pen tests when, when it is ready for release to production in front of customers or whatever that is, right? So there are multiple different steps involved in the software development lifecycle. And what has happened is with the widespread adoption of DevOps, that software development lifecycle is very short and very rapid. Yep. Um, so how do you build the right security steps at every single step of the development process? Um, to be able to do that across hundreds or thousands of developers in an automated fashion, you need a management platform. That's what Tromso is. So we started with this approach of you know, consolidating the data in a centralized platform and helping our customers manage the vulnerabilities effectively through no-code automation systems. Um, but that's just the beginning, right? I mean, that's that's a problem that's relevant to everyone, but as customers move or shift left, so we say, um, in the development lifecycle, um, there, there's gotta be automation built into it. So we build that automation. Okay. And just to make sure I have the right idea here, it's not about automating penetration tests or scans through your platform. It's more about automating the kind of accountability and management of those activities as a part of the greater SDLC, right? So kind of tracking through the SDLC and um, understanding what activities have been performed for each of these different releases and applications and providing that sort of visibility and awareness with those development and security teams to make sure that the activities get accomplished. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so, you know, I'll give you a simple example, you know, when a developers, when a developer merges a PR, a pull request, um, typical SOC 2 type 2 control is there should be an additional reviewer um, in a, in a pull request. So, so, you know, there's change reviews on code being pushed. 
So starting all the way at that deep level uh, of software development lifecycle, like we, we, we are able to automate controls like that. Like, hey, is there a reviewer for every single PR merged here or not? Is this, uh, is this repository where PRs are being merged? Is this a production repo or is this a tool that's just an internal tool that's, not, that's never deployed to a control environment, right? Um, and when containers are built out of those services, is that container deployed in scope for SOC 2 or FedRAMP? Or is that exposed to the internet? Every single one of those contextual decisions, whether it's in scope or not, whether it's deployed to production or not, whether it's net new code or it's a legacy code, all of those decisions have different implications of what type of security needs to be built. Um, if it's an internal tool, maybe you don't want to have um, it released in bug bounty and, and pay um, bounty for bugs in that. But if it is, you know, uh, if your customers are using it, if it's deployed in a, in a business environment, then, then you want to treat it differently. Then you want to go through all kinds of testing and uh, threat models and architecture reviews and different kinds of things. So that context of what really is relevant is, is what we bring in and help you automate the right security controls. Hmm. Okay, I'm with you. So bring me back now to the, the early days of Tromso here. We talked again about this just a little bit earlier in the episode already, but how did you and Harshit actually come together to work on this? Yeah, so we met some time ago, uh, much before we founded Tromso. And we knew each other socially through Common Friend, um, mm -hmm. but he was just coming off of his own startup. So his earlier company was a startup and that got acquired by Juniper. Um, mm -hmm. And he was looking to found another company. And uh, I was, on the other hand, also exploring those ideas. So we, we kept talking, you know, uh, it's like uh, it's a common interest. We got to figure out, you know, what the right um the right, uh, right space to build a company? What is the right problem to solve? Is that a big enough problem? Is, will our solution be differentiated enough? Um, so we kept talking for almost about a year and a half. Um, and eventually we came across this idea after mul multiple iterations, we had some false starts and uh, we came, came across this idea that we were talking to with a few people and uh, it felt like, okay, this is, this is where we are seeing uh, um, a space for us to build a, a good business out of. And also it's, it's differentiated enough that, you know, we can make a difference. Um, so hmm. that's, you know, so, so we both wanted to do uh, something in the entrepreneurship space. And it was just a matter of figuring out the right, uh, right thing to do. Right, right. Okay. And so the two of you came together and again, you started in stealth mode, right? What was the Correct. decision there? Yeah, so early on, you know, um, we started working with uh, three customers, you know, we call them design partners, because we really didn't have a product to sell. Uh, but these were three champions of our mission. Um, and they partnered with us, they were, they were generous enough to give us their time every single week, uh, wow. and involve their team and have us you know, leverage their data sets for building a product. Wow. Obviously, they've been using the product and you know giving us feedback on a on a on a weekly basis, which is which is really really cool, right? Because most people would rather just give you money but not give their time. 
Sure. Uh, but these are the people who gave us time every single week for almost six months now. Um, so early on, a lot of the decisions that we were making obviously was in line with what we wanted to build, what our vision was. But at the same time, it was solving a real problem from day one for our customers, right? So, so we were not fortunately we were not in a position that we are building a product for you know months and months and nobody's using it. This was more like we have captive customers uh, or design partners. And the day we release a feature, the next day they start using it. So, so we are able to really see the impact um, and really focus on things that actually matter to customers. Interesting. Uh, to have those design partners though, right? You would have to have some sort of proof of concept that you were able to put in front of them to be able to begin capturing that feedback. And I'm sure actually building out even just minimum viable product for a platform like this was no trivial task. How were you able to go about that? Did you and Harshit have the combined kind of technical skills to go ahead and just handle that in like evenings uh, while you were both still kind of working your, your other jobs previously? What did that look like? Yeah, so we didn't actually start building anything uh, until we were full-time into this, right? So we were not doing this as a side project. Sure. Uh, I mean, one thing we realized that Look, if we want to build a legitimate company, we have to build it with feedback from customers. Right. And if you are asking for your customers' time, like you have to dedicate yourself to it. Like you cannot do a side project or a weekend project and expect enterprise customers to give you feedback on this, you know, weekend uh, every single week, right? They might do you yeah. a favor and, you know, spend a couple of hours with you, but uh, that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to build a real company, a real product. So uh, we started the actual development of the product once we were full-time at Tromso uh, earlier this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we, fortunately, my co-founder, he is he's phenomenal at hiring an engineering team. So very quickly, we had a good, solid engineering team in place, uh, wow. shipping product really, really quickly. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, where did that, because to my understanding, you didn't raise investment until recently, maybe I'm getting my timing off there, but what was the decision like then to bring in an engineering team at those early stages with presumably your own investment capital? Yeah. So that's, that's the thing that people do in venture business. I wasn't aware of this either, but you know, most people raise money early. They just announce it at some convenient time. So that's <laughs> what we did. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So we raised our seed round actually in March. Um, and that's, that's, uh, you know, right after uh, leaving our jobs is, is when we actually signed the term sheets and raised money for this, uh, which is what funded our uh, initial engineering hires. We just announced it now, but yeah, we just announced it. Yeah. Yeah. Got to, got to leave the delay in there just to, to keep folks guessing. Um, <laughs> so yeah. you, you raised the money again. It sounds like with just an idea and basically the combined wisdom, wisdom and just commitment from you and Harshit, right? You went through SVCI to my understanding. What was that? experience like being on on the other side of that process with the group that you had helped co-found in the first place yeah yeah that was an interesting experience i mean so so just a, a quick uh correction on this you know uh, we we left our jobs with with an idea obviously but at the same time it was not 
something that was just raw, right? Like before jumping in and, you know, uh, putting uh, putting my family at the risk of you know, no paycheck potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we did do quite a bit of validation with a lot of our uh, peers and friends, and right. we, so we had kind of a you know a high degree of confidence that yes, this is something that will work, uh, and this is something that the market needs at this time, and this is the right time to build that company. So with that sort of a confidence is is when we jumped in, but yeah, SVCI is. It's a really, really good group of people, very, very friendly. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's, there's no favorable treatment for anything. Um, <laughs> so uh, the good thing is I've, uh, I was a part of enough of those discussions to understand that what are the types of things that, that need to be communicated to that group, mm-hmm. which is what they care about, really. Um, so that was sort of a, a leg up uh, as compared to if I was just, you know, if I didn't know anyone, if I didn't know how they conduct their business, if I didn't know what they cared about, then it would have been a little bit different. Um, but it definitely was uh, nerve wracking because uh, y- y- the, the process typically involves several people, you know, discussing and, uh, you know, uh, very being very open and transparent about the feedback and what they think. And all they had was a 15 minute view into what we are building right so right. um so yeah it was definitely a, a risky move because it's those are 57 CISOs and if you mess up right like it's those are 57 customers you'll never have so <laughs> um it's a it was definitely a, a very different experience being on the other side yeah that's certainly a high stakes way of looking at it i mean so when you went through that right what were some of the things that were specific to that group that you had to focus on that were maybe different than some of the other VC firms that you were going out and talking to? It was um, it was quite a bit different in a way. I mean, if you think about the VC firms, when you talk to them, they're super, super smart. They know a lot of things that are happening broader in the industry. They understand the trends that are, uh, you know, sh- sort of shifting the landscape of how people do business. But at the same time, most of them are not uh, practicing security people, right? Most of them don't understand the depth of what the real security problems are and how they are being solved today. Uh, Traditional VCs are really good at uh, understanding the 50,000 foot views and understanding the trends that that could or could not make a business a large business, a venture scale business. On the other hand, most of the CISOs, um, they're really some of them are good angel investors as well, but almost nobody is a professional investor in terms of large VC funds, right? Sure. So their view is a little bit different. Uh, their criteria is a little bit different. Uh, most of them also look at will this, uh, will these guys build some, or you know, will this company build something that'll solve their problem today or tomorrow, right? Like that's the lens that they typically look look at. Um, and most of them don't really uh, think about this as, you know, will this become a $10 billion company uh, in 10 years or not, right? Most of them don't look at the companies with that lens. So it's um, the pitch has to be different. You know, the conversations have to be a little bit different. Um, there's there's less of 50,000 foot view conversations. Is more about tactically how will this problem uh, be solved. Interesting. Yeah, so it sounds like you're, Again, trying to focus more in on on the problems that these individuals are actually facing in their day to day, and get them really excited about a solution that's going to address needs that they've personally experienced. Similar to how you mentioned, 
kind of the entrepreneur has to have experienced the problem. You're trying to communicate with folks as investors that have also experienced the problem, as opposed to with VC firms, like you said, who generally uh, understand the kind of industry trends and themes rather than experiencing the problems on a day to day basis. Right. And and the thing with SVCI is that you can't bullshit them into, uh, you know, a, a dream solution, right? Because they know how, <laughs> sure. how these things work. So it's like, it's uh, it definitely is high pressure. Interesting. So where are you with the platform today, right? You exited Stealth now. You've had this engineering team for six months-ish, six, seven months. What does it look like today? Yeah, so we've got um, a solid engineering team. Um, we're a global team, very, very remote friendly. Um, so uh, the platform today, uh, you know, the, the, the milestone that we had decided for us to get to before launch was to build a minimum sellable product, right? Like something that brings instantaneous value to our customers and we can sure. confidently sell it. Uh, to customers. And that's where we are today, right? So we have um, a, a, a few customers, um, a handful of customers who are already using the platform, expanding it to the broader engineering teams, their security champions, engineering and DevOps leadership is using our product and platform. Um, so so this, it's, you know, it's, it's a phenomenal progress if you think about it's just been seven months, right? Right. <laughs> Um, so I'm super proud of uh, the, uh, the the engineering team that has been built and the traction that we are seeing. It basically creates another next level of problem, which is now we have to expedite to keep up with the the growth of our customer pipeline. So and you know and and as we grow our the types of customers we work with, the size of customers we work with that also drives our roadmap, right? Like, so a, a deeper integration into the CICD pipelines and deeper integrations into how do we automate security early on in the development lifecycle, things like that. So, you know, our, our roadmap continues to expand, our customer base continues to expand. Um, so it's, it's very exciting times. Yeah, time. certainly good problem to have when you're trying to keep up with an expanding customer pipeline. Can't really have any any complaints there. Uh, so, I mean, again, you're still early on, just seven or so months, but obviously there's lots of little wins that come with building any sort of startup. What are some of the memorable, impactful little wins that you've had in just the short time that Tromso has been rolling here? Yeah, there's, there's one moment I remember I was so happy hearing that feedback from one of our customers. Um, so... Uh, I, I can't name the customer, but they have a very modern application security team and they've spent enough time with their dev teams to build out a security champions program. So they have a group of about 25, 27 security champions across the organization. Wow. And they have uh, biweekly meetings with the security champions. And typically they would talk about, you know, what's important and what they need to do and, you know, some of the uh, trends that the champions are seeing, so on and so forth. But there was a time when they introduced Tromso in one of those meetings. And I remember the feedback we got was the security champions were so excited to see this because earlier what they would have to do is maintain so many different sources of data just Mm. to keep a track of like, what are the security priorities? What do they need to do? What needs to be 
you know, reviewed who needs to do what. And it was just a messy situation. And having all of this information consolidated in one place that also automates workflows for them. So like automatically notify them, automatically trigger events and actions and tests and so on and so forth. This became like the platform that they started using every week. Um, so mm-hmm. helping, so that seeing that data point, which is not just helping our primary customers, which are security people, but also helping the security champions and the dev teams whose primary job is not security, but they're interested and want to do something better in security. And we are making a difference in their day-to-day life. That's really one of the big wins so far. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's neat to hear you focus in on a very kind of personal event like that, even though you have other events that are probably considered bigger in just like the entrepreneurial world as a whole, such as raising that initial round, landing your first customer. But it was really the scenario where your tool was solving a challenge for someone that stuck with you um, and provided that that real satisfaction. That's right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, we talk about this in the in our team meetings all the time that we built a business not to raise money. We built a business not to take our customers' checks, but really to <laughs> solve a problem, right? So that's the mission that we have, uh, solve customers' problems. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Well, hey, really appreciate your time so far here. Ceremonial last question. Are you currently looking for investment or hiring? We are always hiring, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> hiring uh, software engineers, backend, frontend, data engineers, as well as um, customer success people. So any of you folks listening to this podcast, please, please do reach out. We are hiring across multiple different roles. Perfect. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for your time, Harshal. It's been really interesting just to hear the kind of background behind Tromso and and the incredible growth over just the last handful of months here and best of luck moving forward. All right. It was a pleasure, Kyle. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty and you've been listening to Secure Ventures. 